Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Sanat Kamara, and you're listening to the Peacock Talk in affiliation with Yazdani Temple. I'm here today on this beautiful feast day of Eostra to talk to you about a paradigm shift. I think it is a common understanding that we are in need of some, some form of paradigm shift on this planet. And I think a lot of people are spending a great deal of their time and energy trying to make such a shift happen. But ultimately, I feel as though the attempts to make the shift happen will not succeed. And the reason I feel that this is the case is because I think that most of these attempts do not seek to change the fundamental source coding of complex human behavior. What is the source coding of complex human behavior? The answer, and this is not an empirical answer, it's one that I, it's a hunch, is religion. I think that religion constitutes the core structures, the core value systems uh, that societies build themselves upon. And I think that if you look at the course of history, any time that someone has wanted to fundamentally transform a society, the way they have done so is through religion. And this is something that is very difficult. It's a very difficult pill to swallow, especially for those of us who are uh, more secularly minded and leaning towards atheistic and our tendencies. Um, we would like to believe that religion is an outmoded uh, outdated sort of artifact that our species would do better to get rid of than to keep around. Uh, and while I understand the impulse uh, to believe this, I ultimately think that it is misguided uh, because I think that such an approach assumes that all religions are fundamentally the same um, and that they have the same effects on society. Um, but this is not the case. Uh, it would be nice if all religions were the same. And I think this is why people want it to be true, because it would make it much easier for us to get along if that was indeed the case. But in reality, I think that each individual religion with its codified structures, doctrines, dogmas, mythology, etc., each religion affects its aspirants differently. And that by design, many of these religions were implemented to change human behavior. I'll give you an example. In ancient Mesopotamia, sex and sexuality was one of the central sacraments of that religion. You can go back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and read about the temple harlots, uh, which one of them is used to tame Enkidu, the wild man, uh, in, in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now, how do we go from religion celebrating sexuality to the point where there are literal harlots in the temple to this repressed sort of sex is evil, don't think about it too much, don't do it in any non-conventional way? The answer is, is that people came around who had that inclination, and so they created a religion that would enforce that rule, right? The structure of the religion changes human behavior. If you want to change the world in which you live, you start with the spiritual dimension. And this is what I'm about. I spent a lot of time 
as an activist and all this stuff, trying to change the world. And all that happened to me was I gnashed myself against the rocks like a wave crashing over and over again. And never would that cliffside or that rock move. It would take me thousands of years. But over time, I began to realize that instead of breaking structures down, I should be building them up. And this coupled with my views on religion, I decided that I would attempt to, I won't say create, but to facilitate a pagan revivalist movement um, that would help change the fundamental structure of our society and guide us towards a place of balance as a species. And you may ask, what is it about paganism that will bring balance? The answer is the worship and reverence of nature. Now, nature is beautiful. The beauty of nature is generally agreed upon by most human beings. So it's no surprise that most religions have some manner of, of, of revering or worshiping nature. Um, but this is much more accentuated in what we might consider traditional pagan religions than it is on, uh, in monotheistic religions, which tend to put nature beneath humanity. Um, when I was in high school, I dated a girl whose father was a, a, a fundamentalist Christian and kind of an asshole, if I could be frank. Uh, and I remember an incident where there was a nest of songbirds um, next to this guy's boat. I don't remember what kind of boat it was. It was one of those scarabs or whatever, fancy boats. Um, and, you know, this nest of songbirds, well, what do, what do songbirds do? Well, they defecate quite a lot. And these birds were, uh, let's say they were sullying his boat in a manner that he did not appreciate. And so he saw it fit to take it upon himself and destroy this nest of songbirds, which, by the way, is illegal in case you didn't know. Um, and I, being who I am, let him know what I thought about this, which is probably why they eventually forbade me from dating their daughter. But um, – <laughs> I, I remember calling him out and saying, you know, that's illegal. You can't do that. And his response, and I'll never forget it, was the Bible says that the beasts of the earth are meant for our, uh, our benefit. And so I can do with them and to them whatever I see fit. Um, and I think that embodies one of the fundamental problems with Christianity and with monotheism today is that it takes this approach that humanity and human beings are above nature. We are above the natural world, and we uh, can do whatever we want to it. Well, look around you. You see the consequences of this. You see the wildfires out west and the sea levels and, and these crazy tornadoes and these wild storms and all this stuff going on all the time that's a consequence of our, of our living out of balance with nature. Where does that attitude come from, that sort of conquest attitude? It comes from the religion. So that's one thing that paganism can offer us. I think the other things that paganism can offer us, I think one thing is um, a more diverse array of what I call archetypes for emulation. So um, 
you think of an archetype as like you know a sort of a, a symbolic representation of something. Um, so when we look at different gods, let's say, you've got a pantheon of Roman gods, for instance. There's quite a few gods in there to where if you're a young person who's trying to find their way in the world, there's not just one image that you look at that says, oh, this is what you have to be. You know, you could, you could gravitate towards whichever of these diverse personality um, sort of traits that you could embody, right? So if you don't like the way that Apollo does things, you can go to Aphrodite. And each one of these different deities um, is, well, different, right? And they all have different um, sort of um, – they have different attitudes and different um, sort of energies that people can – can sort of um, gravitate towards that makes the society more diverse. It makes it to where if, you know, if, if you, it's kind of the same argument that people use when they talk about like, you know, little girls not having superheroes to look up to, you know, it's like if there's nobody there that sort of uh, represents the way that you feel about things or the way that you are, uh, then you sort of feel left out. This is one of the problems that monotheism has. You have the tyrant God, you have the father God, that is the God, it's the only God. If you want to be good, you must emulate its attributes, and its attributes are generally very tyrannical and and uh, sort of repressive and and absolutist. And um, you know there isn't really a whole lot of room for you to deviate from that. And so I think they're very restrictive. I think they're very confining. I think they restrict uh, monotheistic religions tend to, or really any orthodox religion. Um, tends to restrict sexuality in a way that is unfavorable, which we mentioned already, specifically uh, alternative variations of sexuality, um, you know, homosexuality, that type of thing. Um, generally speaking, you know, most religions very uh, adamant against those types of things. Doesn't have to be that way, right? There are lots of things about our religious codification that could and should be changed. Um, but people are just kind of set in their ways and unwilling to do it and unwilling to sort of reinvent the mousetrap, as it were, and try to recreate uh, a religious structure or create a religious structure that, that answers these um, questions and solves these problems. And so that's really what I'm trying to do. Um, I set out about 10 years ago on a quest to find myself <laughs> that has been continuing since that time. Uh, and during that process, I have studied more religious traditions than I care to admit, more systems and structures. Um, anyone that knew me during that time saw me, I think, as kind of a, a fickle person. I would, I would read these things and become infatuated with them and then drop them and move on. But really what I was trying to do is understand how, how religions work and how they function, and how the different religions cause different um, behavioral shifts in the societies that adopt them. Uh, and I've been studying this for a long time, and this has led me to what is I consider to be my life's work, which is the creation of a system, a religious system, which I refer to as Yazdanism, or New Yazdanism. I also refer to it sometimes as Yazdani Tantra. Um, now, what the hell is that? You're probably like, Yazda who? What, what's going on? Yazdan is a term that means being 
worthy of worship. And it comes from an ancient Persian word, uh, yasna, which means worship. It also means fire uh, or is related to fire in some way. Uh, because if you know about the Zoroastrians and, and such, they, um, they worship the fire. Uh, so this idea, Yazdan, means being worthy of worship. So those are, these are the deities within uh, my religious system. Uh, they are highly elemental beings, um, representative of both uh, good and evil, light and darkness, because I think both are necessary. I think you have to have uh, both energies in a system in order to make it work and to make it honest. Um, and I think that ultimately what I will do is create a system that will change the structure of the society. Um, and maybe that's like crazy big headed of me and like I should f be ashamed of myself for being so um, – for having such hubris. But crazier things have been done. And if you think about it, you know, that Jesus fella, he – what, he had like 12 people at first that were following him around. Not that I want people to follow me around, but you get what I'm saying. Um, I think it can be done. I, I don't think I should downplay my efforts, or really any of us should. Uh, and I think that what we can do together uh, as a community is sort of look for ways to reinvigorate our society and to transform our society. And I hope that Yazdanism, as I foresee its construction, will do exactly that. Um, so... I'm very glad to have some manner of support from those of you who know me personally or those of you who are just tuning in. Uh, I think that what we're going to do is um, bring magic back into people's lives and to combat this general sense that things aren't the way they, they should be. You know, how much of your time do you spend in your office or at work? or in some mundane, sterile environment, wondering where the magic went and where is the soul and the spirit of living. I can't tell you how often I feel trapped and strangulated by just what I see as this ridiculous uh, self-torture that we put ourselves through that is the modern world and its many um, sort of apparitions. And I think that if we succeed in bringing magic back to people's lives, we can succeed in fundamentally changing the structure of our society and changing the future on this planet. Uh, and I hope that's what we can achieve. So thank you.